Man, it's so good to see everybody today. Thank you so much for coming out. Uh, very, very excited about today and the new series we're starting. I want to take a minute, though, before we jump into our content and welcome everybody who's watching online right now. Come on, church. Can we welcome everybody who's with us via the interwebs? And uh, man, what a great day. And I just want to say, man, tailgate, we, saw, we, showed that little, uh, we showed that little video, man, 98 decisions for Jesus last week, everybody. Come on, put your hands together. That's awesome. Man, that's why we do what we do, to help people find and follow Jesus. And so uh, if you're one of those people that made a decision to follow Christ, we're just so incredibly excited for you because God has something that he wants to do in your life, and it is a good thing. God has great things that he wants to do. And as you start following God, as you start moving forward in what God has for you, uh, it's just amazing. He, he shows you himself. He shows you his plan for your life. And it is so encouraging and so special. And uh, we're really, really honored and privileged just to walk with you and help you take next steps. And so uh, we're just excited to do that. And the first step that we really want to encourage you to take is next week baptisms okay everybody we showed the inspirational bumper trailer movie epic coming slow out of the water <laughs> let me just tell you it's amazing it really really is amazing and say why do we do all of that why do, why do baptisms matter and the reality is baptisms matter because jesus said be baptized and what jesus says we should do and four people believe with that uh, agree with that today it's, it's uh it's gonna be a long it's gonna be a long service um no, but really it's true because Jesus says, I want you to be baptized, and Jesus himself was baptized. There's something, there's something special about going public with your faith, and I just want to make sure everybody understands this. Baptism does not get you saved. It just shows everybody else that you are saved. That's what it is, and it's just going public with your faith, and it's a powerful moment because, uh, because it's obedience, because it's public, and, it's, and God is there, and we, we do a, a great job with it. We just try to make it as the celebration that we really believe uh, that is happening, but the Bible says that when one sinner repents, all of heaven rejoices, so we think that the church should rejoice when people get baptized, so we have a party, and it's absolutely encouraging and awesome, and if you haven't done it yet, I promise it will be, it will be a really, really great experience for for you and if you were wondering the water is not freezing cold okay we get it up to about 90 95 degrees people don't want to leave the tank they're like are there any jets in here and they're not there's no jets but it but it, it, it is it is a refreshing experience because it's obedience and I want to encourage you to take time to do that all right well we are starting brand new series today very excited about today's series uh, that we're going to be getting into over the next several weeks. And we're, we're, we're talking about when God shows up. That's what we're going to be talking about, when God shows up. And the whole idea of this is when, when God shows up, it makes a difference in our life. It, it inspires us. It challenges us. It changes us. And really, that is, that is the difference that presence makes, like being present for something. It, 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 there's a difference that, that, that is made there, like... Uh, this past Thursday, my two sons and my dad and I all went to the Chiefs game where we got a win. Got a win. It was ugly. It was ugly. And uh, I feel like my cheer mattered. Have you ever been at a game where you're like, I have to yell because I've got to stop that defense. I'm out on the field with those guys. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever felt like that? Like, you know... My tomahawk chop is making an impact. <laughs> um, 
And then I, I definitely felt like that, or maybe maybe you got to a point where you're like, man, not only my, my presence matters, but my prayer matters. How many, let's just be honest, that's a vulnerable moment, okay? How many of you actually ever prayed for a football game? Just raise your hand. Like, look at this. Look at this. I've, I've done this before where like, I, I'm like, God, I'm pretty sure you don't care, but in case you do, <laughs> I'm asking for favor. Yeah. You know, some people get real spiritual with it. They're like, oh, Lord, and the way you strengthened Moses' hands as he was leading the people <laughs> out of Egypt, strengthen Patrick's hand right now. In Jesus' name. I don't know, maybe God answers, you know? Maybe he, he, if, you know, he does care about everything we care about. But the, the point is like, when you're there, when you're present, it makes, it makes an impact. And this is, this is true in, in other aspects of life. Like when uh, I was growing up, I played hockey because that's what you do in Michigan, you play hockey. And, and so uh, I was uh, not very good at hockey, didn't go pro. Some of you are probably surprised by that. Um, didn't go pro. But uh, I would go, my, my, uh, the games were, were during my dad's work hours, so he wasn't able to make a lot of them. And so my mom, uh, she didn't come either. So, um, thank you, thank you. Um, and, so, and so I'd look up in the stands and, and there would be nobody there uh, because I'm still on my mom out right now, but uh, the reason is she didn't like to see me get hurt, you know, because like, you know, that would be, I guess, I guess that's hard, you know, seeing your, your kid get hurt, and I got hurt a lot. Uh, I got, that's what happens in hockey. You get checked. It's a violent sport, and uh, she didn't like it. She didn't like seeing it, and so she just didn't go, and my dad was working, but sometimes my dad would show up, and he'd be in those stands, and I'd, I'd go out on that ice, and I'd say, thanks, Dad. I'm gonna play great for you. And I didn't play much better, but it meant a lot. It meant a lot having him there. There's something about presence, right? There's something about someone being there in presence. Or I remember when we started the church nine years ago. This month, guys, nine years. We're nine years old, which is so great. Praise the Lord. We started the church at a community center just, just over there. And uh, Harris Park Community Center it was a gym and two classrooms and then two bathrooms, that was it. Like, and uh, we put a pipe and drape in the gym and, and then the bathrooms were there and there was no door on the bathrooms because it's like a gym bathroom. And so the whole experience was like very sketch. Like the, it was just sketch. And you know, sometimes like the, the pipe and drape would fall. I mean, it was just bad. And, uh, and so, you know, there's no, there's no difference between, there's no, there's no disconnect between the bathrooms and the auditorium and so like, when someone would get up and go to the bathroom, you'd hear them because it's wood floor, you'd hear them walking, and then, you know, then they'd, they'd walk around, and, and you know they're going to the bathroom, and, and I just start preaching louder just in case, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it was, I was getting excited, even if it was announcements, you know, and there's gonna be fruits. You know, whatever it was, I just start being as loud as I could. <laughs> um, Cause you just didn't, you know, it was, it was, the whole thing was crazy and we're like, is, any, is this gonna work? Is anybody gonna show up? And I remember when people just started coming in and Jen and I were looking, we're like, people actually came. It meant a lot. You know what I'm saying? It gives a lot of encouragement. When people show up, it makes a difference. If, if you've ever been in a situation where you're hurting and, or if you're in the hospital and someone shows up, you remember that, don't you? You remember those people who were there for you. 
or you went through a difficult situation, you went through some opposition, and, and you remember the person who called or the person who stopped by, the person who was engaged. Presence matters, doesn't it? And what I wanna encourage you today is that we serve a God that is very present with his people. And he wants to be present with his people. He's not a God who just steps back and says, all right, y'all figure it out and good luck and we'll see you when you get to heaven. That's not it. He's present. In fact, this word theophany, that's what it means. It means, it means present. In fact, it's very interesting. Now, you know, we, we use this as the series branding, but how many of you, let's just be honest, you had never heard that phrase before. Just raise your hand if you've never heard the, the phrase theophany, okay. And so that's good. I, I'm excited because I think it's gonna help us understand who God is in a deeper way. And it's, it's a very simple definition, but if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. It's this, a visible manifestation of God to humankind. A visible manifestation of God to humankind. It's, it's when God shows up, God does stuff all over the Bible. Like he's very present, but then there are moments when he like actually is present, like himself, his presence is present. Where, where his person is present. And when we have these moments in the Bible, they're called theophanies, and they teach us a lot about who God is. They teach us about his nature. They teach us about his character. We walk away inspired. We walk away challenged. We walk away encouraged. We walk away changed. And what I want to do over the next several weeks is I want to look at these theophanies, several theophanies throughout the Bible, and let these things like change us and challenge us and encourage us because it will make a difference in us. And the first one I wanna look at is Abraham, Father Abraham. And he had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. And, and let's just praise the Lord. All right, we wanna break out in a song, all right? Anybody who did not grow up in a Sunday school class is completely lost right now. You're like, what's going on? Genesis chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to be actually looking at a couple different passages. We're actually going to start in Genesis 18. So if you could turn to Genesis 18 and your Bibles are pull it up on your phone. We're going to be looking at the story of Abraham. And, and it starts in Genesis 12 where seemingly out of nowhere, God calls this guy named Abram. And he just like interferes Abram's life. And he's like random. We don't know anything about Abram until Genesis 12. We'll read this later. But God shows up and is like, hey, I got a plan for you. It's to be good to you. It's to be good to others through you. And so for all of, uh, you're going to be the father of many nations. And for all of that to take place, I need you to leave. I need you to leave from where you are to go to what I have for you. And Abram does it. And so he starts moving forward. Now, Abram's old when he gets this call to be a father of many nations. Genesis 12 goes, 13, 14, and Abram's discouraged. God shows up and he makes a covenant with Abram and begins to change his name. Genesis 15, there's a covenant that's made. Still no family, no bloodline, no nation, no, no fulfillment of this promise. And we get to Genesis 18 and Abram, or Abraham now is discouraged He's been waiting for this promise and it hasn't happened and, and God shows up. Let me just ask for a moment. Have you, ever, have you ever had a promise that you felt like God spoke to your heart, God was gonna do something in your life and it hasn't happened yet or hadn't happened yet? Come on, just raise your hand if you ever had that happen. You know it can be very discouraging. It can be, it can be like very like, um, 
uh, just disconcerting. Like God, it can be very hopeless if you're like, God, where are you? Are you gonna show up? Where, where, what are you doing? And God shows up in the midst of this very discouraging, disappointing moment. Genesis chapter 18, we're gonna read uh, quite a bit of these verses, so I'd like for you to follow along in your Bibles, take notes, write this stuff down. I, this is gonna be helpful. This is a very interesting passage of scripture, and there's a lot that I wanna unpack. So let's, let's jump in. Genesis chapter 18, if you're ready, say I am. All right, Genesis 18, verse one. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. And Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. Now, pause for a second. We know that these three men, two of them are angels. We're gonna find that out in the next chapter, okay? So if you wanna like read later this week, you're gonna find out that two of these people are angels. One of them is God himself. And, and a lot of scholars believe that this is actually a pre-incarnate uh, representation of Jesus. Like, so this is Jesus showing up before he is born in Nazareth, or, or, or in Bethlehem, rather, uh, uh, later, uh, 14 generations later. So this is a pre-incarnate representation, manifestation of Jesus. And so the three of them are there, and and, and Abraham is like, wow, I realize this is God. Watch this. When he saw them, he hurried from the tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. So it's like there's something special about that one, and both of those guys are pretty special too, but that one is unique. I'm going to run, and I'm going to bow down. And he said this, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let me just pause for a second and say that is so important right there. That type, of, that type of engagement where you're saying, God, I, I know that that's you. I know you're moving. I know you're working. And I want what you have for me. Let me just encourage you, church, have that type of approach as it relates to your relationship with God. God, if you're doing something, if you have something, if you're bringing something about, God, I don't want to miss out on it. If you're there, I'm there. If you're moving, I want to be a part of it. We've talked about this in our vision uh, weekends, and we refer back to it often, but the, the proverb that says uh, people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they, when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. It's this idea that when you find God doing something, get there. Be a part of it. And that's what Abraham says. He says, God, if that's where you are, don't pass me by. He says, let a little water be brought. And then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree and let me get some, something to eat so that you can be refreshed and go on your way now that you have come to your service. So he's gonna have a little party for these three. He's gonna, he's gonna host them, little Middle Eastern hospitality. I'm thinking some hummus had to be there. Come on, somebody. <laughs> some good, fresh hummus. We know that if you read on the verses, he gets three seas of flour. That's about 60 pounds, which will make about 80 loaves. How many like a good loaf of bread? Come on, fresh out, right out of the oven. Mm, this had to be good. And then, then it says they killed a tender calf. So we're talking about some veal barbecue, baby. Come on. Some veal barbecue with some bread and some hummus. It's just another example of scripturally how God loves barbecue. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> what does Abraham do for God? He makes him barbecue. I'm just saying, Kansas City, we're closer to Jesus. That's all I'm saying. We've got a head start at least. All right. Verse nine, skip to verse nine. Where is your wife, Sarah, they asked him. He says, there in the tent. 
Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. So I love this because it just shows that Sarah has this like giant fear of missing out, okay? So she's there, they're out, you know, they're all talking and she's there by the entrance of the tent and she's listening to what's happening. And uh, so, which makes total sense. You know, you'd wanna be a part of whatever God was doing. Sarah does too. So Abraham and Sarah were already very old and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, that's talking about Abraham. She's like, I'm worn out and he old, he's very old. Well, I now have this pleasure. Abraham now at this time is about a hundred years old and she's 90. So like, like, you know, the dreams of childbearing are, you know, like this is not gonna happen. Then the Lord said to Abraham, so the Lord is there and he says to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year and Sarah will have a son. And then Sarah hears the Lord say that and she's afraid. So she lies, she says, I did not laugh. <laughs> and then he said, yes, you did laugh. <laughs> I think this is the funny, like one of the funniest things in scripture. I mean, it's like this parent like being like, no, I, I know you've got M&Ms in your hands. I know that they're there. I know you took the cookie. Like, and and uh, it's just funny. Like, he's like, I, yes, you did laugh. I'm the Lord. I know. And, uh, and so anyways, it sets this whole backdrop, sets this very interesting interchange between God and Abraham. And it's, it's fascinating because God is getting ready to, to judge two cities, and Abraham has this negotiating intervention type of moment with him. Verse 16, when the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. Now pause for a moment. Abraham's nephew, Lot, is now living in Sodom. He had he initially moved close there. Now he's living in the city. It seems to be that he's actually a leader now. He's sitting at the city gates, so he's a leader in this city that we're gonna find out is very wicked. This is Abraham's flesh and blood. And so the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm going to do? Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation and all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. Again, Abraham can't see this, but God knows this. And for I've chosen him so he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I will know. Apparently, this region had gotten so depraved, so wicked, so carnal, so in the flesh, so anti-God that God's like, man, we just gotta, we gotta scrape this, we gotta start over. Verse 22, the men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained stead, standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if, and this is where his negotiating skills start factoring. What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people? And again, Abraham's thinking about his 
nephew Lot. He's thinking about maybe any friends. He's like, man, if there are 50 people, will you save it? And God's like, or no, he goes on, far be it from you to do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, will you not judge or will not the judge of all of the earth do right? He's like, you are the, the righteous judge. Will you not spare even 50 people who are righteous in this wicked city? The Lord said, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Verse 27, then Abraham spoke again. Now, if I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 people, he said, I will not destroy it. Once again, he spoke to him, but what if only 40 are found there? He said, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. Parents, do you like identify with this? Like, it all, like, have you ever had this conversation with your kids? Once again, he spoke to him. What if, only, uh, or, or he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? So I will not do it if I find 30 there. Abraham said, now that I've been so bold, what if only 20 can be found there? For the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And when the Lord had finished speaking with Abraham, he left and Abraham returned home. So Abraham must be thinking, man, I negotiated with God and this city's gonna be spared. We find out in the next chapter that the city is so bad, there's not even 10 righteous people there. It's really, it's, it's even worse than we thought. And the city ends up being destroyed. But there's this great interaction between Abraham and the Lord and it teaches us so much about God. And I wish, I wish we had weeks to unpack this, but unfortunately we have 16 minutes and 11 seconds. <laughs> So I'm gonna to have to talk really fast because at this point, last service, I had 18 minutes. And so we're gonna to have to talk fast. Let me give this to you, all right? Uh, four thoughts that I think will change us as we understand who God is when God shows up in our life. Number one, when God shows up, it's because he has a plan. Number two, when God shows up, sin is dealt with. Number three, when God shows up, grace takes place. And then when God shows up, he must be invited in or we should invite him in four powerful truths that will help us to understand, look forward to the moment, make a priority for when God shows up. It's gonna be powerful, we're gonna unpack this. Before we do, I want you to find three people next to you and say, hey, when God shows up, he always shows out. Come on, find three people and say, when God shows up, he always shows out. First, first thought, when God shows up, it's because he has a plan. It's because he has a plan. Everybody say, he has a plan. <laughs> have you ever, have you ever uh, had a friend or like a friend circle and they have like an inside joke going on? Isn't it annoying? <laughs> if you're on the outside of an inside joke, isn't it the worst? You know, and like some people will be like, oh yeah, it's like they, they have this little thing. Oh, it's one thing. Oh, and it's like that. And they're like, oh yeah, it's like that. And you're like, oh, that's, that's funny. But if they keep on doing it, like, oh, remember that one time, and you're just left on the outside, it's great. And then at some point, you're like, guys, stop, okay? Because I don't know what you're talking about. And everybody wants to be brought on to the inside, right? God says to Abraham, I wanna bring you into the inside of my plan. 
That's what he says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? So he's like, should I throw this out? Should I bring him in? And the reality is, if you look at Abraham's story at all, there is one conclusion that you have to make, and it's that God has a plan, he is working his plan, and he wants to make his plan revealed to us. That, that's really important for us. God is working a plan. And you see this in Genesis 12, and I, I, I wanna read this to you because this is the Abrahamic blessing. And this is the plan that, that, he, that he reveals to Abraham initially, and this plan that he reveals to Abraham is also the plan that he reveals to us. This promise in Scripture, there's so, there are certain promises in Scripture that apply throughout generations. The Abrahamic blessing is one of those. And, and it's found in Genesis 12, all right? So let's rewind a little bit. Genesis 12, you have your phones, you have your Bibles. Go back to Genesis 12. It says this, the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. This is a good plan. This is a great plan. How many wouldn't want, like, would love for God to show up and say this to you, right? Like, this would be amazing. The good news is, God does. God does. That same promise that God made to Abraham, he makes to you and me. If we will walk with him, if we will follow him, he will do great things in us and he will do great things through us. And, and he goes on to say, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. This is amazing. I just wanna let you know, cue you into this. This is actually talking about Jesus. So in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you have all of these moments where they're looking forward to Jesus. This is one of those moments. And it's talking about all of the people being blessed because of Abraham, that happens because of Jesus. And so he's talking about all this. So Abraham went as the Lord told him. I love this. It just, Abraham's, his faith is so simple. He's like, God, if you want me to do that, I'm going. You have this for me, I'm in. God, you want me to step out into something? I'm saying yes. The answer is yes. I wanna encourage you to have that type of relationship with God. Not God, I don't know, and how much do you want me to give, or I'm not sure, or whatever. I don't mind, maybe I'll get involved, maybe I won't. Man, we need to say yes to the Lord because that's where his plan opens up for us. And you see, this, you see this unveiling in Abraham's life. He gets this good plan. It's a great plan, and it continues to get better. Genesis 12, it starts. Genesis 15, it elevates. Genesis 17, it levels up with a greater commitment. And then in Genesis 18, you have this conversation with the Lord himself, pre-incarnate Christ. It's amazing. And you know what it teaches us? That when you walk with God, it just keeps getting better. It just keeps getting better. I want you to know this, that, that 2 Corinthians, I believe, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, 18 says this, and we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory. Everybody say glory to glory, which comes from the Lord who is the spirit. That's God's will for you that you start walking with him, you start understanding him, he starts showing you who he is and revealing uh, aspects about who you are and who you can be. 
And as you start following him, it just keeps getting better. I wanna tell you today that however good God has been to you, he has more. Whatever your experience of God to this point has been, God has more for you. There's more that he wants to reveal about himself, about his nature, about his plan for your life. And as you follow him with your whole heart, as Abraham did, you will experience it. It just starts with us saying yes. God, I want what you have for me. It is a good plan. Now, here's the thing that's really important. Whose plan is it? It's God's plan. It's God's plan. It's it's God's plan for Abraham, but it's God's plan. And I want to encourage all of us to, to ask ourselves, what are we seeking? Because if you seek God's plan, you will never be disappointed. But if you seek your plan in your way, in your timing, you will be consistently disappointed. God has a good plan. It's to prosper you, not to harm you. Jeremiah talks about that. God wants to bless you and he wants to bless people through you, but you have to stop by saying, you have to start by saying, God, I'm gonna stop and say, what do you have for me? See, what happens a lot of times is we invite God into our plan. And then we start, we end up praying prayers like, bless my mess, Lord. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) We don't ask God, should we buy that house? Should we get into that relationship? Should we take that job? And then we get in and it's not going well and it's not working out well. We knew that person didn't love the Lord, but we married him anyways, come on somebody. And then we're like, oh God, will you come in? And God's like, man, I will, I will. But this thing would have been a lot better if you would have started by asking, what is your plan for my life? Do you want me to buy this house, Lord? And sometimes it gets, just, oh man, I see that house. I want that house. We're gonna get, and, and God's like, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And we're like, no, no, no. And it's like, you're like squelching, like, no, get away from me. I'm gonna do this anyways. And then you get in and you're, you're, you know, you're in debt up to your eyeballs. You're like, I don't know what to do. I'm gonna sell everything. God, where are you? And he's like, I'm over here telling you not to do it. We have to start by saying, God, I want your plan. I want your plan and I'm gonna trust that plan and I'm gonna seek that plan and I'm gonna yield to that plan. When God shows up, it's because he already has a plan. Let me just tell you this. This is amazing truth of scripture. Before he created the heavens and the earth, he knew who you were going to be and he cares about you and he has a detailed plan for your life and it is a good plan. And it doesn't look like everybody else's plan, so stop comparing. It's very specific, it's very unique, and it is good, and it is is to bless you, it is to raise you up, it is to experience who he is, and it's to bless others through you. Seek his plan, Amen? amen? Second thing, when God shows up, sin is dealt with. You cannot read this passage without realizing that God deals with sin. God deals with sin. He sees the sin and he says something needs to be done about it. Verse 20, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. We know, we know that it is as bad as, as, as advertised because the next chapter, the two angels who left Abraham and the Lord go into Sodom 
and they go to, they go to find Lot and the men of the city try to attack these angels to have sex with them. The whole city comes out. It's messed up. And, and not only that, but Lot is so messed up that he's like, no, 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 don't take these guests. Take my daughters instead. Messed up. And so, and so like, it, it's bad. And you wonder, you wonder, like, if you're reading this and God's, I mean, but there, lots, lots of things are messed up. Why, why is God so upset? Why is God so angry? Like, you know, especially if you're reading, like, man, God has a good plan, plan to bless us. And then it's like, but God also kills people. Like, they, they, well, someone get that guy a Snickers, man. Like, what's, like, a football field-sized <laughs> Snickers or something? Why is God so angry? In fact, Abraham kind of feels like that. He kind of feels like that because he says this, far be it from you, will not the judge of the earth do right? He's like, God, you've been, I think, I think Abraham brings his personal experience with God to this. And he's like, God, you've been so good to me. You've just blessed me and, and done great things through me. So why are you so upset? Why would you do that? And, and the reality is Abraham was following God. And this entire region was very much not, like anti-God. And the reality of sin is that sin destroys. Sin ruins relationships. Sin ruins lives. It can corrupt an entire person. It can ruin an entire family, in this case, an entire region. I wanna tell you today, church, that sin is your enemy. I, I really wanna emphasize this for a moment because a lot of times we start thinking like our enemy is our neighbor, you know, or, or, or that coworker who's vying for your position or that troll on social media. You think that person, you think the person across the aisle politically is your enemy. They're not. Sin and the devil are your enemy. That's, that's where you lose. That's, sin separates us from God. Sin separates us. It separates us from the Garden of Eden and it separates us from God's goodness today. But still you're like, man, but there's lots of sin. So why is God saying, I have to take this place out? And the reality is we have a loving God. Yes, we do. Who has a good plan for our life. But the love of God comes from the holiness of God. This is really important to understand in our society today. The, if you want the love of God, which we all do, it comes from the fact that God is holy and his holiness is what makes him to, different and unique and perfect. And because he is perfect, he loves perfectly. So that's good for us. We all want that. But in order for God to love perfectly, he must also protect perfectly. You, I want you to track with this. God's love is perfect, and in order to love perfectly, he must protect perfectly. For example, I love my wife very much, and I assume like, like good things of people. Like I assume most people aren't to, like out to hurt us or out, you know, aren't out to harm us. Or, and so if I meet you and you know, like we're like having a good conversation and, and it's like awesome. And my wife comes up and you know, I introduce you and like, it's great. And then if you start flirting with my wife, <laughs> like, um, 
we're going to have some problems. You know what I'm saying? We're going to have some problems. Weird if we don't, right? Weird if I'm not, if, weird if I'm like, oh, that's fun. <laughs> Perverted, right? Not okay and not love. Let's take it a little bit further. Take that, take that to the uh, point of like, okay, I'm in my house and you're an intruder and you're coming in to like hurt my kids or hurt my wife. You are not gonna get nice, Pastor Scott. You're gonna get guns a-blazing, Pastor Scott. That's what you're gonna get. Ninja stars, okay? Ninja stars, not since the 90s. I don't even know where that one came from. Like, we... But that's what you're gonna get. You're gonna get that. And I will pray for you after I shoot you. So, so, so let me ask you, what's driving that? Is it my hate for the intruder or the love of my family? That's, that's how it is with God. And God sees this city, this region that is so perverse and so headed towards uh, its own demise because sin brings about death. Sin brings about death, that's what it brings about. And sin creates hellish realities, doesn't it? If you cheat, if you cheat on your spouse, you will create a hellish reality. If you steal from your boss, you will create a hellish reality. If you rob someone, if you cheat someone, if you, if, you, if you gossip about someone behind their back, you will create a hell. Do you see how sin creates hellish realities that need to be amended, that need to be atoned for? And Sodom was so far away from that and they, they had decided not to turn to God. Even with the presence of Lot, Lot just got caught up with them. And what sin needs to be is atoned for. Sin needs to be amended. And that leads me to the next point is that when God shows up, grace takes place. So God starts with 50 and Abraham talks him down to 10. I love the bargaining. Have you ever been like, have you ever bargained like for, you know, a deal on a car or a TV or something like that and you got them down, you're like, yeah, <laughs> winning, you know? They still won, but you feel like you're winning, you know? Like, my son, my son Titus, uh, uh, he, scam, he, like, he calls it scamming. Like he scammed his older brother Cruz out of some cards, some trading cards. <laughs> and, uh, and so Cruz was like, oh yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll sell these cards. It was like five cards and Titus gave him 50 bucks. I know, it was like, yeah. But the cards that he had traded at school and so he was like, I know what these cards are worth. And so then there's like this, this convention that's happening downtown and he took these cards uh, this weekend, yesterday. Uh, he took these cards down to this convention and sold these cards. He wheeled and dealed with this guy, went back and forth, my 10-year-old son, <laughs> and got 390 bucks. Come on, somebody. I'm gonna have him negotiate our land deals as we continue to expand <laughs> the church. But I, I, love, I love what Abraham does. He starts negotiating. He talks, 
He talks the Lord down from 50 to 10. We saw it. Verse 32, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? He answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. It's really amazing, but what is Abraham doing? He is, he is standing in the gap for a wicked people who don't deserve grace. He's already, he's already kind of fulfilling Genesis 12 in a way, Right? He's already kind of fulfilling that he's standing in the gap. He's negotiating for people who don't deserve it next to Jesus. And I have to think that Jesus is smiling as this is happening because he's thinking like, I love this. I love this heart because you know whose heart it is? Jesus's heart. And so you have Abraham and he's negotiating and he's standing in the gap and he's, he's, he's praying, what about 50? What about 45? What about 40? What about 30? What about 20? What about 10? And you have to think Jesus is like, I love that heart because in 14 generations, I'm gonna do exactly what you're doing once and for all. He's gonna, he's gonna die a death he didn't deserve. He's gonna be nailed to a cross a shameful death that he did not deserve, and he's gonna atone for the sins of humanity once and for all. He's gonna take the sin and throw it as far as the east is from the west. He's gonna wash us clean. He's gonna wash us clean. He's gonna atone for us even though we don't deserve it. Do you realize you and I, that we're Sodom and Gomorrah. Our wickedness keeps us from God. Just even our best day, the Bible says, is, is filthy rags. The good things that we do, is, it's not enough because God is so holy. And yet Jesus, in his death on the cross, atones for us so that we can have life eternal. Look at 1 John 2. My dear children, I write this to you that, so that you will not sin. It's like, hey, I, I, I want to encourage you, don't sin because it brings, it brings death into your life. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, and his name is Jesus Christ, the righteous one, the one who was and is and is to come, the one who was standing next to Abraham, the one who would stand before Pontius Pilate and stand before Caiaphas and be condemned to death, a death he did not deserve, but he took hell upon him so that you and I wouldn't have to experience it. That's the gospel. And when we simply believe it, when we simply put our faith in Christ, the Bible says that his blood washes us, we're made right with him, and grace takes place. We didn't deserve it, we're not worthy of it, but God does it. He stands in the gap for us. He wants to stand in the gap for you. But you have to put your faith in him. You have, to, you have to trust him. You have to look to him. And that really leads me to the, the last thing, and, and we'll have the worship team come. When God shows up, we should invite him in. When God shows up, we should invite him in. He must be invited in. Verse two, I wanna show you this. We passed over this quickly, but when Abraham saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed down to the ground. And he said, if I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. 
A few verses later, it talks about, it says, when he went to make the preparations, he ran, he ran to make the preparations. Now, Abraham is a patriarch of, of probably over 300 people at this point. So he's got a tribe of 300 people that he's overseeing. And as the patriarch, you did not run. Even today in, the, in that day, as a man, as a, it's, it's not customary to run. You, you let the kids run, children run. You do not run. You walk dignified. Part of it too is, is like the robes that they would wear. It's not easy to run. Have you ever tried to, have you ever worn a robe and tried to run it? It's not, it's not, it turns out it's pretty challenging. <laughs> and you kind of look foolish, right? Sometimes if they really had to run a long time, they would take the, the corners of the robes and they would pull it up and they would hold, they would hold it like this. And so they'd kind of run like this. Either way, not like, not like your Instagram like profile pic. You know what I'm saying? Like not what, you're, not what you're wanting to put out to the world. But Abraham does it. He's willing to look foolish. He's willing to humble himself because God is there. And he says, and, and not only that, but he's gonna make provisions. He's gonna make preparations. He's gonna, he's gonna get all of the stuff that he was gonna do before. He's getting all that stuff uh, out. And he's like, I'm gonna make a banquet for you. Bring the flower, bring the tender calf. And he's doing it. Sarah's doing it. They're all engaged. They're willing to bow down and look foolish because they're in the presence of God. Do you see like when you want God to move in your life, sometimes I would say every time you're gonna to have to look a little foolish. When you come in and you worship him and you lift your hands and you say, oh God, I believe you, I praise you, I trust you, you look a little foolish. You look foolish to someone who doesn't believe. They're like, are you serious? But it's like David where you say, but I'm willing to become even more undignified than this because I know who my God is. And he is the creator of the universe and he is worthy of worship. He is holy and altogether separate and unique and he is worthy of my highest praise. And so I don't care who's watching and I don't care who's around me. And I, I'm gonna put this coffee cup down for two seconds because he's worthy of my praise and he's worthy of my worship and I'm gonna give it to him in Jesus' name. I'm gonna praise him. There's a difference, there's another level. And I, I want us to take a moment right now and would you stand all across this place? And I wanna take, I just wanna take a moment before we do anything else and I wanna give him reverence. We'll just hold up for just one second. I wanna give him reverence. I wanna give him praise and honor and glory. So across this place, can we lift our hands? Can we lift our, 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 our hearts and just begin to say, God, I'm willing to become more undignified. I'm willing to become a fool for you because you are the one who was and is and is to come. Lord, I, I give you honor. Come on, would you just begin to praise him in your own words? Just begin to worship him in your own words and your own, just begin to let praise rise up. Father, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your mercies. God, I thank you that you are a, a holy, righteous, and pure God, and that you are worthy of praise, and that there is no one, there is no one like you. And God, I just lift you up, and I honor you, and I 
praise you and I adore you and I, I set my mind and my, my desires on you and I, I clean my heart, Lord, and I just say, God, come on in and, and Lord, expose the stuff that needs to go. Lift it up and, and clean it out, God, and let me be pure before you. God, I pray that your will would be done. You are holy. You are awesome. And there is no one like you and I'm gonna give you the highest praise because you are worthy of it and I honor and respect and reverence you in this moment. Lord, I love you and I praise you.